0: Hey, lovely. Today, I'm reading The Hunger Games. This is for older kids, so you might want to get a parent if you're littler. The only reason this episode's marked explicit is because it's for older kids. Um, Let's begin reading this. Part 1. The Tributes. Chapter 1. When I wake up, the other side of the bed is cold. My fingers stretch out, seeking Prim's warmth, but finding only the rough canvas cover of the mattress. She must have had bad dreams and climbed in with our mother. Of course she did. This is the day of the reaping. I propped myself up on one elbow. There's enough light in the bedroom to see them. My little sister, Prim, curled up on the other side, cocooned in my mother's body, their cheeks pressed together. In sleep, my mother looks younger, still warm but not so beaten down. Prim's face is fresh as a raindrop, as lovely as the, the primrose for which she was named. My mother was very beautiful once, too. Or so they tell me. Sitting at Prim's knees, guarding her, is the world's ugliest cat. Mashed and nosed, half one ear missing, eyes the color of rotting squash. Prim named him Buttercup, insisting that his muddy yellow coat matched the bright flower. He hates me, or at least distrusts me. Even though it was years ago, I think he still remembers how I tried to drown him in a bucket when Prim brought it home. Scrawny kitten, belly swollen with worms, crawling with fleas. The last thing I needed was another mouth to feed. But Prim begged so hard, cried even, I had to let him stay. It turned out okay. My mother got rid of the vermin, and he's born a mouser. Even catches the occasional rat. Sometimes, when I clean a kill, I feed Buttercup the entrails. He has stopped hissing at me. Entrails? No hissing. This is the closest we've ever come to love. I swing my legs off the bed to slide into my hunting boots. Supple leather that is molded to my feet. I pull on trousers, a skirt, tuck my long, dark braid up into a cap, and grab my forge bag. On the table, under a wooden bowl to protect it from hungry rats and cats alike, sits a perfectly little goat cheese wrapped in basil leaves. Prim's gift to me on reaping day. I put the cheese carefully in my pocket as I slip outside. Our part of District 12, nicknamed the Seam, is usually crawling with coal miners heading out to the morning shift at, at this hour. Men and women with hunched shoulders, swollen knuckles, Many will have long since stopped trying to scrub the coal dust out of their broken nails, the lines of their sunken faces. But today the black cinder streets were empty. shutters on the squawk houses are closed. The reaping isn't until, until two. You may as well sleep in, if you can. Our house is at almost the end of the seam. I only had to pass a few gates to reach the scruffy field called the meadow. Separating the meadow from the woods, in fact, enclosing all of District 12, is a high chain-link fence, topped with barbed wire loops. In theory, it's supposed to be electrified 24 hours a day, as a deterrent to predators that live in the woods—packs of wild dogs, lone cougars, bears—that used to threaten our streets. Since we're lucky to have two or three hours of electricity in the evenings, it's usually safe to touch. Even so, I always take a moment to listen carefully for the hum that means the fence is live. Right now, it's silent as stone. Concealed by a clump of bushes, I flatten out on my belly and slide under the two foot stretch that's been loose for years. There are several other weak spots in the fence, but this one is so close to home that I almost always enter the woods here. As soon as I'm in the trees, I retrieve a bow and see through my arrows of a hollow log. Electrified or not, the fence has been successful at keeping the flesh-eaters out of the District 12. Inside the woods, they roam freely, and there are added concerns like venomous snakes, rabbit animals, and no real paths to follow. But there's also food if you know how to find it. My father knew, and he taught me some before he was blown to bits in a mine explosion. There is nothing even to bury. I was 11 then. Five years later, I still wake up screaming for him to run. Even though trespassing in the woods is illegal, and poaching carries the severest of penalties, penalties sorry more people would risk it if they had the weapons. But most are not bold enough to venture out with just a knife. My bow is a rarity, crafted by my father along with a few others, that I keep well hidden in the woods, carefully wrapped in a waterproof covers. My father could have made good money, money selling them, but the officials... But if the officials found out, he would have been publicly executed for inciting a rebellion. Most of the peacekeepers turn a blind eye to the few of us who hunt because they are as hungry for fresh meat as anybody is. In fact, oh sorry. In fact, they are among the best com- customers, but the idea that someone might be arming the seam would never have been allowed. In the fall, a few brave souls sneak into the woods to harvest apples. But always in sight of the meadow, always close enough to run back to safety of District 12, if trouble arises. District 12, where you can starve to death in safety, I mutter. Then I glance quickly over my shoulder. Even here, even in the middle of nowhere, you worry someone might overhear you. When I was younger, I scared my mother to death. The things I would blurt out about District 12, about the people who rule a country, Panem, from the far-off city called the capital. Eventually, I understood this would only lead us to more trouble, so I learned to hold my tongue and turn my features into an indifferent mask so that no one could even read my thoughts. Do my work quietly in school, make only polite small talk and public market, discuss little more than trades at the hob, but is a black market where I make most of my money. Even at home, where I am less pleasant, I avoid discussing tricky topics like the reaping or food shortages or the Hunger Games. Take a moment to think about this book so far. I'm going to give you hmm, one minute, starting now. Think about this book so far. Comprehend what I read. If you don't want to listen this minute, take a, like, a moment to think and catch your mind about, well, what I read so far. You may skip to one, the eight-minute mark. Got it? When it hits the eight-minute mark, I'll be reading again. So skip now if you don't want to have this one-minute break. Go on. Skip if you don't want it. But if you still are here, take a minute to relax and comprehend what I've read so far. Ten more seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay. If you skipped, welcome back. As you know, I'm about to start reading the book again. So, let's read. Pray might begin to repeat my words, and then where would we be? In the woods waits only the only person with whom I can be myself, Gail. I can feel the muscles in my face relaxing, my pace quickening as I climb the hills to our place, a rock ledge overlooking a valley. A thicket of berry bushes protects it from unwanted eyes. The sight of him waiting there brings on a smile. Gail says I never smile except in the woods. Hey, catnip, says Gail. My real name is Katniss, but when I first told him, I had barely whispered it, so he thought I said catnip. Then when this crazy lynx started following me around the woods looking for handouts, it became my, his official name for me. I finally had to kill the lynx because he scared off he scared off game. I almost regretted it because he wasn't bad company, but I got a decent price for his pelt. Look what I shot, Gale holds up. Gale holds up a loaf of bread with an arrow stuck in it, and I laugh. It's real bakery bread, not the flat, dense loaves we made from our grain. rotations. I take it in my hands, pull out the arrow, and and hold the puncture in the crust to my nose, inhaling the fragrance that makes my mouth flood with saliva. Frying bread like this is for special occasions. (laughs) Mmm. Still warm, I say. He must have been at the bakery at the crack of dawn to trade for it. What did it cost you? Just a squirrel. Think the old man was feeling sentimental this morning, says Gail. Even wish me luck. Well, we all feel a little closer today, don't we? I say. Not even bothering to roll my eyes. Prim left us a cheese. I pull it out. His expressin- expression brightens the treat. Thank you, Prim. We'll have a real feast. Suddenly he falls into the capital accent. As he mimics Ify Trinket, the, ma- the maniacally upbeat woman who arrives once a year to get out the names of the Reaping. I almost forgot! Happy Hunger Games! He plucks out a few blackberries from the bushes around us. may the odds! He tosses the berry in a high arc toward me. I catch it in my mouth. I write the delicate skin to my teeth. The sweet tartness explodes across my tongue. Be ever in your favor, I finish with equal verve. We have to joke about it because the alternative is to be scared out of your wits. Besides, the capital accent is so affected, almost anything sounds funny in it. I watch as Gale pulls out his knife and slices the bread. He could be my brother. Straight black hair, olive skin. We even have the same gray eyes. But we're not related, at least not closely. Most of our families who work in the mines resemble one another in this way. That's why my mother and Prim, with their light hair and blue eyes, always look out of place. They are. My mother's parents were part of the small merchant class that caters to officials, peacekeepers, and the occasional seam customer. They ran an apothecary shop in the nicer part of District 12. Since almost no one can afford doctors, apothecaries are our healers. My father got to know my mother because on his hunts, he would sometimes collect medicinal herbs and sell them to her shop to be brewed into remedies. She must have really loved him to leave her home for the seam. I try to remember that when all I can see is the woman who sat by, blank and unreachable, while her children turned to skin and bones. I try to forgive my father's sake, but to be honest, I'm not the forgiving type. Gail spreads the bread slices with a soft goat cheese, carefully placing a basil leaf on each while I strip the bushes of the berries. We settle back into the nook of in the rocks. From this place, we are invisible, but have a clear view of the valley, which is teeming with summer life. Greens together, roots to dig, fish iridescent in the sunlight. The day is glorious with a blue sky and a soft breeze. The food's wonderful with the cheese seeping into the warm bread and the berries bursting in our mouths. Everything would be perfect and this really was a holiday. If all the day off, Matt was roaming the mountains with Gail, hunting for tonight's supper. But instead, we'd have to be standing in the square at two o'clock, waiting for our names to be called out. We could do it, you know, Gail says quietly. What? I ask. Leave the district. Run off. Live in the woods. You and I, we could make it, says Gail. I don't know how to respond. The idea is so preposterous. "'If we didn't have so many kids,' he adds quickly. "'They're not our kids, of course, but they might as well be. Gail's two little brothers and a sister. "'Prim. "'And may as well throw on our mothers, too, "'because how would they live without us? "'Who would fill those mouths? I was asking for more. "'With both of us hunting daily, "'there are still nights when game has to be swapped for lard "'or shoelaces or wool. "'Still nights when we go to bed with our stomachs growling. "'I never want to have kids,' I say.' I might if I didn't live here, says Gail. But you do, I say, irritated. Forget it, he snaps back. The conversation feels all wrong. Leave? How could I leave Prim, who is the only person in the world I'm certain I love? And Gail is devoted to his family. We can't leave, so why bother talking about it? And even if we did, even if we did, where did all this stuff about having kids come from? There's never been anything romantic between Gail and me. When we met, I was a skinny 12-year-old, and although he was only two years older, he already looked like a man. It took a long time for us to even become friends. They'll stop hangling over every trade to being helping each other out. Besides, if he wants kids, Gail won't have any trouble finding a wife. He's good-looking, he's strong enough to handle the work in the mines, and he can hunt. You can tell by the way the girls whisper about him when he walks by in school that they want him. It makes me jealous, but for no reason that people would think. Good hunting partners are hard to find. What do you want to do, I ask. We can hunt, fish, or gather. Let's fish at the lake. We can leave our poles and gather in the woods. Let's get something nice for tonight, he says. Tonight. After the reaping, everyone is supposed to celebrate. And a lot of people do, out of relief that the children have been spared for another year but at least two families will pull out their shutters, lock the doors, and try to figure out how they survive the painful weeks to come. We make out well. The predators ignore us on a day when easier, easier, tastier prey abounds. By late morning, we have a dozen fish, a bag of greens, and best of all, a gallon of strawberries. I found the patch a few years ago. But Gerald had the idea to string mesh nets around it to keep out the, the animals. On the way home, we swing by a hob, the black market that operates in the abandoned warehouse that once held coal. When they came up with a more efficient system that transported the coal directly from the mines to the trains, the hob gradually took over the space. Most businesses and are closed by this time on reaping day, but the black market's still fairly busy. We easily trade six of the fish for good bread, the other two for salt. Greasy Say, the bony old woman who sells bowls of hot soup from a large kettle, takes half the grains out of our hands in exchange for a couple of chunks of paraffin. We might do a tad better elsewhere, but we make an effort to keep on good terms with Greasy Say. She's the only one who can consistently be counted on to buy a wild dog. We don't hunt them on purpose, but if you're attacked and you take out a dog or two, well, meat is meat. Once it's in the soup, it'll call it beef, Brucey Say says with a wink. No one has the scene would turn their nose at a good leg of wild dog, but peacekeepers who come to the hub can afford to be a little choosier. When we finish our business at the market, we go back to the back door of the merit's house to sell half the strawberries, knowing he has a particular fondness for them and can afford our, pri- afford our price. Sorry, not a fond. Okay, we're gonna take another minute um, to realize what we've read. So, if you don't want to, um, how do I say this? Have a break, you can skip to 18 18 minutes, the 18 minute mark. Go on. If you're still here, just take a minute, to breathe, and comprehend what we've read so far. We're gonna have a bunch of these breaks in this book because there's so many. And we're only on page 12. And we're almost at chapter two where we'll stop. We are currently one, two, three, four, four pages away from the end. Uh, not the end, the end of chapter one. Take a minute and finish comprehending. I see you skipped to this mark, like I told you. Well, we're about to start reading again, where we left off on page 12. Let's begin. The mayor's daughter, Madge, opens the door. She's in my year at school. Being the mayor's daughter, you'd expect her to be the snob, but she's all right. She just keeps to herself, like me. Since neither of us really has a group of friends, we seem to end up together a lot at school. Eating lunch, sitting next to each other at the assemblies, partnering for sports activities. We rarely talk, which suits both of us just fine. Today, her drab school outfit has been replaced by an expensive white dress, and her blonde hair is done up with a pink ribbon. Reaping clothes. Pretty dress, says Gail. Madge shoots him a look, trying to see if he's genuine compliment or if he's just being iconic. Or ironic, sorry. It is a pretty dress, but she would never be wearing it ordinarily. She presses her lips together and then smiles. Well, if I end up going to the capital, I want to look nice, don't I? Now it's Gail's turn to be confused. Does she mean it, or is she messing with him? I'm guessing the second. You'll be going to the capital," says Gail coolly. His eyes land on a small, circular pin that adorns her dress. Real gold beautifully crafted. It could keep a family and bread for months. What can you have? Five entries? I had six when I was just twelve years old. That's not her fault, I say. No, it's no one's fault. Just the way it is, said girl. Madge's face has become closed off. She puts the money from the berries in my hand. Good luck, Katniss. You too, I say, and the door closes. Okay. Sorry. Technical difficulties. We walk toward the seam in silence. I don't like that Gail took a dig at Madge, but he's all right, of course. The reaping system is unfair, with the poor getting the worst of it. You become eligible for the reaping day, you turn twelve. That year your name's entered at once. At thirteen, twice. And so on and so on until you reach the edge of eighteen. The final year of a el- of eligibility when your name goes into a pool seven times. That's true for every citizen in all 12 districts in the entire country of Panem. But here's the catch. Say you are poor and starving as we were. You can opt to your name more times, in, more times in exchange for Tesserae. Each Tesserae is worth a, a major year's supply of grain and oil for one person. You may do this for each of your family members as well. So, at the age of 12, I had my name entered four times. Once, because I had to, three times for test away for grain and oil for myself, Prim, and my mother. In fact, every year I have needed to do this, and the, en- the entries are cumulative. So now, at the age of 16, my name will be reaping 20 times. Gail, who's 18, has been either helping or single-handedly feeding a family of five for seven years. He'll his name in for 42 times. You can see why someone like Madge, who has never been at the risk of needing a tessera, can set him off. The chance of her name being drawn is very slim compared to those who asked for living the slim. Not impossible, but slim. And even though the rules were set up by the capital, not the districts, certainly not Madge's family, it's hard not to resent those who don't have a sign-up for Tesseray. Gail knows his anger at Madge is misdirected. On other days, deep in the woods, i listen to him rant about how the Tesseray is another tool to cause misery in our district. A way to plant hatred between the starving workers of the seam and whose who's, congenery generally count on supper and thereby ensure we'll never trust one another. It's to the capital's advantage to have divided us among ourselves. You might say if there were no ears here but mine. If it wasn't reaping day, if a girl which just a gold pin and no testway had not made what I'm sure she thought was a harmless comment. As we walk, I glance over Gale's face, still smoldering. His rages seem pointless to me, although I never say so. It's not that I don't agree with him. I do. But what good is yelling about the capital in the middle of the woods? It doesn't change anything. It doesn't make things fair. It doesn't fill our stomachs. In fact, it scares off the nearby game. I let him yell, though. Better he does it in the woods than in the district. Gail and I divide our spoils, leaving two fish, a couple of loaves of good bread, greens, a quart of strawberries, salt, parven, and a bit of money for each. See you in the square, I say. Wear something pretty, he says flatly. At home, I find my mother and sister getting ready to go. My mother wears a fine dress from her apothecary days. Prim is in my fur, reaping outfit, a skirt and a ruffled blouse. It's a bit big on her, but my mother has made it stay with pins. Even, though, even so, she's having some trouble keeping the blouse tucked in in the back. A tub of warm water waits me. I scrub off the dirt and sweat from the woods, and even wash my hair. To my surprise, my mother has laid out one of her own lovely dresses for me. A soft blue thing with matching shoes. Are you sure? I ask. I'm trying to get past rejecting offers to get help from her. For a while, I was so angry. I wouldn't allow her to do anything for me. And this is something special. Her clothes from the past were very precious to her. Of course. Let's put your hair up too, she says. I let her towel dry and braid it on my head i can hardly recognize myself in the cracked mirror that leans against the wall you look beautiful says prim prim in a hushed voice and nothing like myself i say i hug her because i know these next few hours will be terrible for her her first reaping she's about as safe as you can guess and she's only entered once i wouldn't let her take out any tesrae but she's worried about me that's the unthinkable might happen I protect Prim in every way I can, but I'm powerless against the reaping. The anguish I can—I th- always feel when she's in when she's in pain—wells at my chest and threatens to disturb my face. I notice her blouse has pulled out of her skirt in the back, and I force myself to stay calm. Tuck your tail in, little duck, I say, smoothing the bla- the blouse back in place. Prim giggles and gives me a small quack. Quack yourself, I say with a little laugh. The kind only Prim can draw out of me. Come on, let's eat, I say and plant a quick kiss on the top of her head. The fish and greens are already cooking in a stew, but that will be for supper. We decided to save our strawberries and bakery bread for the evening's meal to make it special, we say instead we drink milk from prim's goat lady and eat the rough bread made from tessera grain although no one has much of an appetite anyway at one o'clock we head for the square attendance is mandatory Hi everyone, just, this is Milwaukee Times. I just wanted to stop in and tell you about our new sponsorship. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distrib- distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum ownership. L- it's everything you need to make in one podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. One more time, go da- download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I hope you like um, Anchor. Anchor, and please check out my podcast called Milwaukee Times. You can find it on Spotify or the Anchor app. Thank you so much. Goodbye.